All good? Yeah. <clears throat> I'm a bit sweating up here, so your front row people, I'm sorry, you're getting a, a joyful aroma. Was that what you were praying for in, in pre-service prayer? Joy was, there's definitely a joyful aroma around here at the front, so um, wasn't worship. I just want to thank you guys, just, just thank those guys for leading us in worship this morning. I mean, um, Yeah, I think those are moments where you just cherish what God's doing in the room and you go for it. And I always wanted to run out of the service and just go grab the kids. I've been waiting to do that for a long time. And I just felt like the Lord was like, now's the time. And I ran out and I was like, there's a dance party in church. Who wants to come? And they all looked at me as if to say, huh? Some were like, yeah, okay, I'll go. And then the others were like, what? Like, we're doing something right now, you know? And there was just sort of this picture of like somewhere in, somewhere out. And, you know, if your kids were at the front there, the crazy renegade bunch, so we'll, we'll take them any day of the week, which was, which was funny. So um, they'll be doing more dance parties. And it's funny because what, so you may be sitting here thinking, what happened this morning was God. Or you may be here thinking, going, that's just, that's just hype. That's just passion. That's just, you know. And we can choose to either allow God to do something in the room, engage, or, or switch off. Because how many of us all know, all, we all come from so many. I mean, you look around the room right now. You know, the only reason majority you know each other is because of journey. I mean, we all come from so many different churchmanships, different backgrounds. So we all come with a preconceived idea of how church should look like, right? And sometimes with God, I really do believe there has been a momentum that, that's happened, not only with Kingdom Come, and it's not even, not even just what's been happening at Kingdom Come, because if you weren't there and you may be going, well, I wasn't at it, it's even bigger than that. I just feel like the Lord has been doing something in us as a house, us as a community that says, actually, no, it is the time for breakthrough. Such a, you know, and she'll kill me for doing this, but Heather didn't want to, you know, there's a process that the Lord has been taking Heather through, and the first morning she gets up in, I mean, probably years, Heather, right? She delivers that, you know. There's just, there's things that, not to put the pressure on every week, by the way, but there's just something about when God's doing in us. And I don't know about you, but I'm not gonna change the subject. I'm not gonna change the subject for God to come and do something in us. And scripture is loaded with, with challenges and with stories about how do we push back, push through, sorry, the things that we are comfortable with. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. But what I loved was, I'm a bit biased because Hannah spoke last week, and if you, you weren't here, I would encourage you to go. She'll kill me even for saying that, you know. Um, this week, people have been reaching out saying, oh, is, is Hannah's talk recorded? And so on. I'm like, yeah. And then I go home and tell her, you know, oh, so-and-so was asking for your talk, and she, she hits me saying, why are you send them to where, you know. I'm like, well, the Lord speaks, and that's the only reason Hannah got up was because the Lord spoke to her, and there was, you know, she doesn't come with any, you know, there's no extra added fluff of how she says things. She just says it. You know, and a lot of you are probably appreciating because Hannah just says it where I add, you know, I'm the, Hannah's the, like the, the simple translation, I'm the message translation, I just add a lot, right, you know, and uh, I think that's what I love, but her and I, and even others in this, in this room have just been really, I just really feel like the Lord has been teaching us something in this moment, in this time, it's different to any other church and, and, and what's going on even in Antrim, but I just feel like for us, God has been speaking to us about what does it look like to create him space to, as what Hannah says, is, is let go of our agendas, you know, our, our lists of how you want a service to look like our prayer meeting. And they're not bad, by the way, there are times for those. But what does it look like to come and worship God and Him alone? And she talked about how we actually have to thank Him and praise Him because that takes the focus off ourselves. And 
we actually then go into a place of worshiping him and then seeing what he does. And, you know, if you haven't been able to make to the first night of revival prayer meetings, we're on Friday night. We'll do, like Joey says, the rest of the Fridays in, in September time. They are different to what usual prayer meetings are like. And we have to have times where we bring, you know, our, our request to God. I mean, that's biblical to do that. But there is something about when we just go to God and go, right, we're going to thank you. We're going to praise you and we're going to remove what our agenda may be and respond how you come. And sometimes this morning when, you know, that happens and, you know, not every morning we're going to be doing somersaults because we'll all be knackered. But there is something about, you know, every response is different. And that's the point, is what is God doing in the room? We press in regardless of what it's our comfort zone, regardless of what's what we think church should look like. And we press in and then we see something happen and we break through. And that's really what I want to talk about this morning is... What does it look like to minister to God and before God, okay? Because as we, as we gather on a Sunday morning, as we gather, as journey groups are starting back or as we do our prayer meetings, what does that actually look like in practice to minister to the Lord? I mean, all of us here have a pretty good idea of how you minister for God, right? What you do, you know, whether you serve in a road heel or whether you feel called in the job you're in, there's something that you do that you minister for God in the, in the wider Uh, community context, what I want to talk about and what I want us to focus on this morning is what does it look like to worship and and to minister to God, maybe in song and and dance and different things like that is what the context might be, okay? So you'll find that it'll be pretty refined and focused this morning. And see, for far too long, I I quite like putting it like this, in churches, every church is different, but I found in, in, in a lot of, you know, even in Northern Ireland, but just a lot of our churches, for far too long we've created we know that God is our distinguished guest, right? How many know God is your distinguished guest when you show up? That's why you're here, right? It's not because the cafe's great or, you know, because you fancy the worship leader or whatever it may be, right? You know, but it shouldn't be happening because Deborah's here, she'll watch you, right? But it's actually about coming because God, the, reason, the reason we gather is because of God, right? I mean, that's plain and simple. But for far too long, I believe our churches have been treating, you know, God as the distinguished guest who we should be bringing in who we, it's the reason we gather and we, we bring them into the center of the room and we say, hey God, have your way this morning. You are the reason we're here. You are the, the object of our worship. So come and do not, we give you center stage and we give you the schedule and we give you the platform this morning, right? But for far too long, churches have treated him as the distinguished guest that we say, isn't God great? We give him the praise, we give him, we sing songs about him. And then what we say is, hey, sit on the sideline and we'll get on with our church services. I mean, I'm challenging myself because I come with so much, you know, even planning for the autumn and different things that we've, we've got and we go, and structure, I'm not chucking the baby out with the bathwater structure and all is important. But if we look at our hearts, we say, hey God, you are amazing, awesome, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, right? We applaud him and we make a big sing song and dance and then we go, right here, take your seat at the side. We're gonna get on with our church services. We'll get on with our church routines. And, you know, I was even talking to you, you'll not mind me embarrassing you, Fiona, well, you probably will, but, you know, I was trying to get Fiona to come and share this actually about, you know, years of, of something God done in Kingdom Come and, and would you actually just jump up and, and share that quickly, you know? What, what that, we were talking about it during the week where you just felt like God said, you know, I've been, you've been around the block yeah. and, and God done something. Just really quick synopsis. Um. I'd been in sort of fellowship churches since I was 18, and that's a long time ago. (laughs) And, um, you know, I've been doing home groups since I was that age and doing worship services a bit like this. And people come who've never done that before, and they're so excited. And I'm going, I find it so hard to get excited because I've been there and done it for so long. 
and um, just feel like like it's all good and I want to do those things I want to do home grips and do all those things they're all good things but I'm going God there must be more and um, but I think I'd, in a way I'd kind of lost a bit of faith that that actually there was more and um, when I went to Kingdom Come conference on the Friday night they were singing about the Lamb of God and I got such a picture of a lamb on a on a hill like a drumlin and he had his um, flag here and he was marching out and we were all behind him marching and I just felt like God saying to me you know, I, I felt like I came into a place of worship that I had never been in before that it was about worshipping him and it was as if I was in heaven with God and God was all there was and all the stuff that we it's all put away you forget about it it's just God and it's about God and it gave me I just thought that's what I want I want face to face with God to to meet with God to be face to face with God to to see God to do, and it, and I thought it just helped me see that God was still big and yeah. he had big things to do and he was you know there was more and I just feel energized by that that mm. that is that what yeah. that's good yeah no it was just no you can give it the joy it was just that capacity of we've been around the blocks but there's more that what we know and what we're familiar with there's more and we're going to really look at that this morning but as we kick off if you could go to Second Samuel 6, 12 to 13, and we're going to read, you know, there's something where we see in the heart of David where he had the wisdom to bring God's presence back into the center of his life. And that's actually what I believe happened in that moment with Fiona and others in the room was the presence of God comes back into the center. It's not that we ever had the heart for it not, but we get so caught up in, in going through things that actually it's like, no, God, I want more and there is more. So I'm going to read through this, and I'm going to read through a, a couple of, just the, the passage there, so there's, there's a good number of verses, and then there's a couple of things I'd like you to underline. We'll not get through it all, obviously, because, I mean, there's a lot, but um, I'd encourage you to go read it, and you'll, you'll all be familiar with it as well. But this is in Second Samuel, and it's, it's about when King David is essentially bringing the, the Ark of, of the Presence back into the city of David, so you, you can pick up on there as well, okay? So uh, 6.12 says this, and it says, you'll see it on the screen. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed an ox and fattened an animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might and David was wearing his linen ephod. I want you to underline that. His linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. I want you to underline despised. And he brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, cake of bread, portions of meat, cake of raisins to each one. And when all the people departed, each to his house. 
And David returned to bless his own household. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to David and said, Oh, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, before the eyes of his female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly of uncovering himself. And David said to Michal, It was before the Lord, the Lord who actually chose me above your father and above all his house, to appoint me as prince over Israel to the Lord, to the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. In fact, I will make myself yet even more undignified than this. And I will be a base in your eyes. But by the female servants for whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And it says then, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. In fact, it says that she went on and was fruitless in her labor. How many of you know that there is a biblical mandate for you and I, for the 21st century believers to engage in the priestly role of creating space for God. That there's a biblical call and mandate for you and I in this moment to create space for God. That it should be normal in the life of believers, but also in the life of the church to have the presence of God come and dwell like it did this morning, like he did in other times. But it is normal for the life of our church to experience the manifest presence because the omnipresence, we know God is in everything, but there's something about that it is to be the destiny of the church to experience the manifest presence of God. You see, 1 Corinthians, I'm just gonna give you a couple of scriptures. 1 Corinthians 6 says, do you not know that your body is the temple, is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you're not of your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You see, Jesus died not just so that we may know more about him, and that's important, but it's actually so that we may come into an encounter with him. Not about feeling, but a transformation moment where we come in to to the throne room of God, which is actually the language we use where we feel like we're in heaven, where we feel like it's not that, you know, everything, you know, is made right or that, you know, we we come for, for a sake, but actually we come back into those places that God has destined for us. And Hannah spoke about this last week in Ephesians 2. It says, therefore, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens of the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a temple of the Lord, in whom you're also being built together for a dwelling place of God. That you and I, our mandate is to create a dwelling place for God to come. Hannah said it, it's like that God would come and rest upon his people. That's what we are to be focused on. One of our core values is to be focused on the presence of God. It's not about feeling, it's not about hype, and it's not even about nostalgia. But actually it's about the power and presence of God that changes things. You see, we're two or more gathered, we honor him. When we gather, we want him to show up on our midst. You see, 1 Peter 2 says, you also as living stones are being built in a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God and through Jesus Christ. How many of you know you can't be a living stone without life being in? How many of you know you can't be a living stone if you don't have the one who has life living on the inside of you? How many of you know you can't be a living church if you don't have life in your church? God isn't looking to build empty cathedrals. We're getting a new building. Do you know what? God's not even looking the big, big, big building. He wants to have it. He doesn't want to fill the place with loads of people. In fact, he wants to fill a place with hungry people. 
And like I said last week, God doesn't want visitation. He wants to come and have habitation. God wants to come and not just visit us like, our, like his favorite Airbnb every now and again, but actually he wants to come and make his home. He wants you to know that he is the landlord of this house and he has every right to be here. And so it's up to you and I to get rid and throw off the things that actually are holding us from allowing him to come and dwell. How many of you know that God's not the problem? We are. And as we offer him something, we create space as he begins to move. And in fact, that offering that we get to give God is our thanksgiving. Psalm 50, 23 says, he who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me, says the Lord. And to him who sets his ways way properly, I will show the salvation of the Lord. As we come in, there's something, as we forget our agenda, forget our lists, and forget our needs. I'm not saying completely forget them because that's denying reality at times, but there are moments where we come in and we say, God, we're going to worship you and we're going to give thanks to you and we're going to praise you regardless of what we can get out of this moment. That if you're here and you're sick today and you're here and you're in confusion or you're here without lack, do you know it's an offering to give thanks because he, you still are contending for breakthrough? It's not an offering. It's not a sacrifice if you've already got the thing that you've been contending for and then all of a sudden you thank him for it. I mean, that's great. But how much more is it an offering for his people that when we are contending for all sorts of things on this side of heaven, we come and we say, thank you, Lord. This is what you've done. This is who you are. And I've come to know, I've come to witness in, in not only being around these circles, but just in being with people like yourselves where the manifest presence of God will stay when a group of people have hearts that are focused only on him and ultimately create space for him when he moves. Hannah spoke about it last week. Psalm 100 says, we enter his gates with thanksgiving. We enter his courts with praise. So give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever and his faithfulness continues throughout the generations. As we, as part of the people of God throughout the past generations, we continue that mantle on. We don't get busy doing things for God, although that's part of the equation. We actually begin to minister to him and we have to carry that mandate on. And practically speaking, you know, we, worship, we, we thank God for what he's done. And I know some ways you can prophetically thank God for what he's about to do, but to be sure, to be sure, to be sure is you actually thank God for what he's done. We praise his nature. We praise who he is. But then I've discovered there's a third part, not to create an equation, but there's a third part in it, if you like. We then worship him as his presence shows up. You know, scripture talks about that God inhabits the praises of his people. Praises isn't just singing song. Praises is this place where we have a heart of thanksgiving. As Hannah says, when we begin to thank God, we can't look at ourselves. Try and thank your neighbor while looking at yourself, right? I mean, try it. Say thank you and try to be selfish about it. Well, you could be selfish about it, but right? There is something about, now some of you are looking at your spouse going, we need to have a, you know, trying to thank you, right? But there's something about when we thank God, as Hannah says, we can't be looking at our own interior motives. And the more we do that, the more we press in. And the other night in the prayer meeting, you know, I was like trying to, right, we got to, we started off doing Thanksgiving. And I was quickly, I found myself trying to use my Thanksgiving prayer to pray for what I wanted. 
Thank you, God, that you're gonna come and move. Thank you, God, you're gonna save this person. You're gonna do this, and you're gonna do this and this and this. Anybody else done that? And I'm like, I've wrapped up my agenda in that very well. No, hear me out, that's a good prayer, prayer to pray. But when we thank God for what he's done, just for moments and, and not actually bring in our agenda, we, we get, we, it does a realignment in us, but it then begins to see his, his presence come near. You can't help but draw near to someone who is thankful towards you, right? And what happens then when we do thanksgiving, when we do praise, and we create that space for God to come. Worship then means to, as Hannah said, delay prostrate before the Lord. It means we surrender. And what that moment looks like is when we start to sense the Spirit of God moving in the room, we don't then go into all our list of agenda. We then go, okay, God, you have your way. Remember that distinguished guest? We then say, Holy Spirit, what are you doing right now? When we come into a posture of, of, of adoration and honoring God, we then say, okay, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? I know this is what I want to do, but Holy Spirit, what do you want to do in this moment? I often look around the room. People often say during worship, why are you looking around the room for? You're very nosy. I mean, you are very right. But I want to look around and go, what's God doing in the room? As his people, as he inhabits the praises of his people, what's he doing in the room? And we begin to follow that. Because how many of you know when we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, that's when the power comes. That's when breakthrough comes. That's when seek first the kingdom and then everything else comes. Who wants to follow the one that knows what's happening in the future is above all things and better in all things and his ways are higher in our ways? Who wants to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit when we do that? But we say that often. Well, I'm gonna to speak to myself. I say that often. But I often go, what, what does that actually look like? How do I be in practice? You know, and, and we gotta do that. Hear me. The structure and the order of our church services, they are important. We need them. They give structure and they give movement. And we all, but they should never take precedent over the movements of the Holy Spirit. And like I said at the start, all of us come in with preconceived ideas of how church should look like. If you're here saying you're not, they're subconscious, by the way. I have preconceived, I want you to say this, I have preconceived ideas of how this church service should be. Say it out loud. I have preconceived ideas of how this church service should be. You won't even say it. Because we all do. And in some ways, there's ways that, you know, as churches do things formal and, or informal, you know, that, you know, that's a conversation for another time. But we all come with, and Hannah said it last week, how many of us enter into a worship set and we go, I'm not feeling it today. That song's not quite cutting it for me. I only sing the Bethel. Or do you know what? I don't even sing the Bethel, no chance. And what we do is we switch off. And that's one thing I, I one of the things I love, many things I love being about married to Hannah. She's like, you're adding a whole lot of flaff to that. You just got to worship God. And she's like, she's saying, you know, I'm like, you hear from God. I mean, that word she shared, Jordan DeMarco got up at the end of the conference and she's like, he's preaching my sermon. I'm like, good, you're doing it next week. And there's something about when it's not about skill, it's not about, you know, what we can do. It's about hearing the word of God and following that. And that's what worship means, obedience. And actually what I love is if some of you have been, you know, if you were like me, you've grown up in more traditional backgrounds. And I was chatting to somebody, it's actually a couple of years ago now, but I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a, in a traditional church and you will see there's, you know, there's a, a lot of times there's an altar and then there'll be a seat off to the side. And that seat is for many, many reasons throughout church traditions because the church tradition has been so long that it's been used for many, many different reasons. 
But I was chatting to somebody of a traditional faith one time and he said, do you know where that came from? He says, during revival meetings where they used to wait on the Lord. The reason the platform, hopefully isn't because you want to see the person and just make it all about them, but actually the platform is because when the people of God were waiting on the Lord in those meetings, in those public meetings, the, the person leading the meeting would be able to look over and see what the Spirit of God's doing in the room. As the people continued to wait, okay, what's God doing in the room? That the minister or the priest or whoever was leading the service would be looking. But you know what? The church were used to waiting for so long they had to bring a seat on the stage because they were like, I'm going to wait on the Lord even longer. I'm going to take a seat, but I'm still going to watch and see what the Spirit does. I know Sunday mornings aren't always the best times for us to do that because we can't wait with family over different things. And I'm not looking to chuck the baby out with the bathwater with that one. It's why it's often easier on a Friday night or a Sunday night to do those, right? And we will create space for that. But there's something about if we have the heart, we can do it here and now and we'll see what God can bring in the future. But I want us to be a people that wait on the Lord. You might be like me, but you have a tension span of a goldfish. Are we willing to wait on the Lord? Are we willing to press in and be hungry and go, do you know what? Well, he's not showing up or he's never showed up before. Are we willing to press in and be hungry? And the more, I've heard it, Mike Pilavachi said it once before. The more we wait, the more he comes. And I love the story that Jordan DeMarco says, that's waiting. At, the, at a service down in Dublin, the Holy Spirit says, wait. An hour went by, the worship kept going like, are we done yet? He's like, no, I'm waiting on the Lord. John comes, are we done yet? says, no, we're waiting. I think it was like two hours after the worship set was done and everybody in the room is still waiting. And they're like, right, come on. And there's a whole backstory that I'm not doing justice. And all of a sudden at the front, as they're waiting on the Holy Spirit, I think it was a 12 or 14-year-old girl, the Spirit of God comes on her. And however that begins to come and look like it happens. And then her youth leader goes and prays and boom, he gets hit, you know, encountered by the Holy Spirit and he's down. All of a sudden the place goes, are we willing to wait that long to see revival come? How hungry are we to see that happen? You see, worship is not about, and a bit contradictory in that, you know, worship's not about what we can get out of it, out of it but it's what we can put in. Because when we put in, we begin to see he takes us in. When we surrender our agenda and we give to him, then all of a sudden he takes us down the path that he wants us to go. You see, it can't be the worship team that fires us up. It has to be the object of our worship that fires us up. It can't be the new song that you love that's, that, that gets you all bubbled up and go, oh, that's great, because that's hype. Or it can't be an old Robin Mark song that just triggers memory in you. That's called nostalgia. Hype and nostalgia are not revival. It's about going, okay, and by the way, we're allowed to sing new songs, and we're allowed to sing new songs, and, and just being you know, a bit of proddy there, that it's actually, we got to be going, okay, how am I going to press in, thank God, in this moment, even regardless if I don't feel like I'm on it today? Are we going to be a people that wouldn't be so quick to switch off and disengage, but actually we would, we would keep our focus on him, and then it means that actually we would thank him and praise him regardless of the cost? And actually, it's a love why, you know, the Lord said, give me the Levites. Give me the Levites. Give me the people who will seek me above all else. In Deuteronomy 8, 10, 8 says this. And at that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister and to pronounce blessings in his name. 
as they still do today. This is why the Levites have no share of the inheritance among their fellow Israelites. The Lord and his presence is their inheritance. It says the Lord is their reward as the Lord your God told them. You see, as the rest of the tribe of Israel got the portions of the land divided up in, in many, many different ways, the, the Levites didn't get it. Instead, the Lord says, You're gonna, I'm gonna be your portion. I'm gonna be your portion. You're gonna minister to me in song and incense and burnt offerings. And although we not do, may not do those things today, contextually what that looks like for us is thanksgiving and praise. Yes, there's an external focus of, of being obedient and stepping out, and we'll come to that another time. But in these, you know, the first ministry is back to him. And how many of us, when everybody else is getting material inheritances and upgrades, are we willing to be content with the Lord? When everybody's getting their breakthrough, when everybody's getting their thing they're thankful for, are we willing to be, do you know what, I'm going to be thankful before the Lord today. Not for what I can get out of it, but what I can give to him. Because he is the portion and he is all I need. I will not be thankful for what he, I will not complain about what he hasn't done. I'll be thankful for what he has done. There's a heart shift and a posture there. In fact, I love what Habakkuk 3 says. Will we be a people that when the fig tree doesn't blossom or there's no fruit on the vine or the cattle in the stalls, that we will be a people that will say, I will exalt the Lord and I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. We don't thank God because of what we have. We just thank him for what he's done in our lives. We praise him for his nature and we'll begin to see what he does throughout. You know, this morning we sang a lot about there's freedom in the room, there's joy in the room, there's all sorts of things in the room and there definitely is and was. There is a freedom that comes when we set aside our agendas and simply just worship him. And when we begin to do that collectively, I believe it becomes atomic power. It's what began to happen this morning. When collectively we begin to see what's God doing in the room, instead of running off on our own popcorn world prayer or whatever it may be, we go, I loved, maybe you didn't know us, I'm just going to call it out. But as Belinda, I, I seen Belinda over there and I thought, Belinda's carrying something. Is Belinda here? Belinda's like, no, no, no. I'm like, well, come on. And Belinda came in and there's a, isn't there a freedom on Belinda to be who she is? And I have so many people come to me who, Maybe some still do, but some don't come to this church. And I say, I just love Belinda. There's a freedom about her. Because she'll be herself before the Lord. How many of you got to start being a Belinda? And actually becoming in the freedom. And that's what happened. And then I, why did I go grab the kids? Because they can be free when we have all of our logics. And oh, I shouldn't be doing that in church. And they lead us to a place. And they take us into the throne room of God and go, do you know what? Then we begin to get breakthrough. You might say, that was hype, that would it ever may be, call it what you will. But I just experienced freedom this morning. I've never seen that happen to that extent in Journey to Patrick before. I haven't. We've had crazy horses like Bran Houston and all on the stage. But on a Sunday morning, that right there, it's not the context what happened. It was the freedom that I saw in some of you guys to break free. And when we do that collectively, our town isn't safe. Our families aren't safe. Nothing's safe because when we allow God to break us through, then it's his presence that breaks through. When we allow the king of glory to break in, he, we, breakthrough happens. When we, it's, it's this first ministry, ministering to the Lord, that sets every other ministry in our life straight. 
when we become before the Lord and we, we thank him and we praise him and we get, it seems counterproductive to a very productive world. But when we come and it's not, hear me out, I mean, you should know me by now. I'm all about going and getting our towns and, and, and meeting people. But if we are not ministering and we're not coming to a place where we go, Lord, you above everything else. Come and dwell. Let us be a holy tabernacle of your place. Can I tell you something? If you're not ministering out of that place, you will be ministering out of your own strength, your own skill set, and your own dry barren place. You will burn out and you will dry very quickly. And in fact, your ministry will have no power. I will be beyond to say that. And I've watched, I'm glad she's not here because she'd be giving me the stern eyes, but I've watched the power of God come upon Hannah these past couple of days, these past couple of weeks. I'm going, because she, like, she would say, there's no skill in me, there's no, and she, she'd be like that. Despises the front. But can I tell you something? It's the power of God that comes upon you, that then everything you offer to him, that's the only reason she did it. She says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it because the Lord told me, I hate it, I don't wanna prep it, I don't wanna do, I'll do it because he's told me to. Can I tell you something, power comes. I've seen people, you know, we, we were, you were there, and, and we gotta be into those places of what's the Lord doing? in the room, it brings purpose, it brings part of everything else we do. When we get our first minister to the Lord, right, then our ministry for the Lord gets enhanced. He becomes the salt and the light and the flavor and everything else. It's this priestly overlapping spaces, these, these the corporate communal tabernacles that where God and, and his people meet. These are the thin places where God's movements are held to high regard. It's where we look around and go, what's God doing in the room? What's God saying? You see, scripture shows us that King David, as he was king, as he had his duties and as he had his expectations, he treasured the presence of God. He went through the effort of bringing the ark back into the center of the city of David. You see, it was into the center of his public and his private life. And which is he sought the Lord above all else. It caused the heart in him. And David wasn't perfect. We know the stories. But it caused a heart in him to rise up. And in that moment, he danced undignified. It said he danced with all his might. A lot of us were willing to dance before the Lord with all our might when nobody's watching. But sometimes God wants to do it in these places. He overcame, David overcame the fear of what others' expectations would say about how he should express himself before the Lord. Actually, 2 Samuel 6, 16 says this. It says, as David danced before the Lord in his priestly garments, remember, I told you underline that. It said, Michal despised him with all her heart. That Michal looked upon David, who was wearing his priestly garments, his religious ritual garments, believed he was acting inappropriately. You see, remember, when you're worshiping undignified before the Lord, there's always going to be a Michal in the wings, looking, saying how you're behaving and how you're dancing isn't appropriate for church. There's always going to be a Macal when you're, you know, trying to push through and break through. There's always going to be a Macal in the room or in your mind saying that's not how you behave in God's house. But never let anyone who has a heart wrapped up in religion tell you how you should express yourself before the Lord. Never let someone who has a heart wrapped up in religion tell you how you should behave before the Lord, how you should express your worship towards him and here you get to come and worship the Lord in fact if the Lord tells you to go stand on your head over there I ain't going to judge you 
I have a story about that. I'll tell it for another time. You see, Michal is trying to religiously shame David because she was offended that the Lord chose him as Israel's leader over her father. But in fact, it was, her, it was Michal's heart of offense that stopped her from entering into what David had access to. David was in full freedom. He was dancing undignified before the Lord. He had entered a place in the Lord that was in incredible freedom. I mean, you need to understand something. I don't think I maybe emphasize that too much. When David was wearing, and that's why scripture puts it in, when David was wearing his linen ephod, his ritual, his priestly garments, you know, there was a high esteem in that culture that day. You had to be a certain way. You had to behave a certain way. You had to order and conduct a service in a certain way because God was holy, which is true. And all of a sudden there became this you know, external uh, presence that you had to, to embody was, okay, you be dignified before the Lord. Digni to be dignified is be serious, to be of serious demeanor. But God isn't looking that you be dignified before him if your heart isn't. God isn't looking you to behave as if you're set apart for him if your heart is far from him. God's looking for the heart. And that picture in that moment is when David, all of a sudden, true authentic worship came out from inside him. Is that 25 to 1? Well, I have to be done. I'm nowhere near done. If you need to leave, please leave. But is that actually 25 to 1? Worship must have been done for an hour. I'm blaming you guys. Holy. Are you bored? Will it be finished? John Member says this, dignity is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Dignity is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. You see, David got to enter into greater dimensions of the Lord's presence, but Michal, she had her heart wrapped up in offense. And we have to exchange our dignity for his presence. Do you know you can't hold both? You can't hold on to your reputation and your dignity while also trying to hold on to the presence of God. It, it ain't gonna work. It's this movement. They're not towards each other. They're away from each other. We have to come to the altar, die, and then watch what God gives us in return. But you know the funny thing is, at the end of it, we'll realize how foolish we were because we were trying to hold on to man's reputation, but actually God came in his presence and we go, Oof. We were trying to hold on to the fear of man instead of the fear of the Lord. And in those moments, we realized how foolish we were because what he gave us was greater than what we were trying to hold on to. See, one of the things I've discovered is that there is a, a big difference between a crowd and a group of hungry people. Anybody remember the woman with the issue of blood? In the Gospels where for 12 years she was hemorrhaging and the crowd was surrounded by, by Jesus or Jesus was surrounded by the crowd and you know, the great multitudes and he was doing great things and this lady with um, the hemorrhaging for 12 years presses him a lot of shame and, you know, to, to be you know, like that and there's a lot of shame that we carried. And she pressed through. She was hungry to reach out to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. She was hungry not only for her healing, but she was actually hungry to be with the one who would lead her beyond where her current circumstances were. She wanted to be with him. And Jesus turned around and says, who touched me? Because it says when the lady touched her, touched him, the power left Jesus. And Jesus says, who touched me? And the disciples say, Jesus, you're surrounded by loads of people. Everyone was touching you. He's like, no, but power left me. Someone touched me. You see, all the crowd touched Jesus, but it was the hungry ones that received. As the crowd gathered and touched him, it was those who were hungry that received. You see, his power comes not on the crowd. It comes on the hungry. 
His power comes not on the crowd. How many people we can fill in this or the new building, it's about a hungry people. You see, as a community, we have to remain hungry. We have to remain unafraid to be undignified before Jesus. And I'll say it like this. This morning, you might have looked at it and thought, that's just people being passionate. But can I tell you something? I've discovered passion looks like performance to the passive. Passion looks like performance to the passive. Those people wait on the sidelines. I'm not saying you have to come and, and, and dance. That's not what I'm saying. That's legalism. But what I'm saying is when we feel like, you know, those here being hungry and pressing in, ah, oh, it's just performance. And then they'll say, if God's sovereign and he wants to send either revival, he wants to come in his manifest presence, he knows where I'm at. He knows I'm willing. Can I tell you, if that is you, I want you to invite the person next to you to give you a big shake. Because yes, God is sovereign. Yes, God will come. And he has designated times for revival and for the, the moments where his Christophany manifest presence will come. But can I tell you something? You and I are not God. We don't have the luxury to know that. In fact, in our personal responsibility, we have to remain hungry and we have to also push, push past what we believe is you know, familiar to our church services and create space for him. And we cannot lack allow our lack of hunger and our familiarity of church life to become excuse for our passivity. And that's what I loved. I was supposed to get you to shout at that point, Fiona, but I got too excited. Mark 6 says this, and I'll wrap up. Is then Jesus went back to his home country and his disciple followed him. And the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogues. Many heard and were astounded by the great things he did. And what wisdom was given to him is what they said and the mighty works he performed by his hands. Listen to this. In verse three it says, they then realized, is this not Jesus the carpenter? The son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Are these not his sisters with him? Listen to this bit. It says, then they were offended. Adam. And I went on to say, Jesus could not do any mighty work there. The people's familiarity with who Jesus was stop them receiving from what he could do in that place. Let me say it again. The people were so familiar with who Jesus was because they see him grow up through birth. They couldn't receive all that he was, the bringing of his presence, of his kingdom, which is then manifested through mighty signs, wonders, and miracles. They couldn't receive that because they thought, oh, we know him. See, how many of us are familiar with our church services or our, our church routines or you know, our church calendars, we go, well, I know all of that. I don't really want to go to that. I don't want to come to that prayer meeting because I've always happened this way. I don't want to do that. That we become so familiar that we lose our hunger and we lose our wonder. You see, if you lose your sense of wonder, you will lose your sense of hunger. If you do not have a place where you go, God, I, there is wonder what God could do. I love how Fiona put it. God can do it, can do new things. If we've lost that, we will have lost our sense of hunger. They're two sides of the same coin. But how many of us are willing to allow God come and move in a fresh way? You see, I believe there's, there's aspects of God's nature that God wants to take you and I as a community journey down Patrick into. I believe there's a call in our house that God wants to lead us into a season where we learn how to minister to him. How do we keep the ministry of, of first minister to him the priority? And then he will lead. You know, I have so much vision for Jenny Dane Patrick, but I have to lay it at the altar so that he can be the one that will come and lead you and I. And that's what I'm trying to say here this morning is we have to be a people that go, do you know what? What is God doing? 
It's not how can Journey Down Patrick bring the greatest strategy to meet and contextualize the gospel in the Down Patrick. Can I tell you something? I've read all the books. Well, that's a lie, I haven't. But there's something about when we go, okay, we create space for him. We do that practically, that he comes in power. You see, Israel held the presence of God over the familiarity. I've ran it a lot of time. But I want to invite the band back up. I'll leave with that analogy. The children of Israel, and you can go on if you really want to. I'll not be offended. The children of Israel gathered around the presence of God, which was a cloud by day and a fire by night. They, they pitched their tents. They got comfortable. They, they set up, you know, all their lamps and their, 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 their prep for, for creating, you know, getting food for the day. But imagine they did that and then all of a sudden the cloud just lifts and leaves. They get comfortable. They build their, their tent and then they just, the cloud gets up and leaves. Or if you're a bit like Hannah and I, for example, when we had the kingdom come, we brought our tent, we camped on site. We, brought, we packed light, but guess what? We brought an actual double mattress with us. We brought, I'm not talking about a blow-up mattress. I'm talking about the one that you have on your bed. Ah, yeah. We folded it up. Not our, it was our spare one, right? We're not that bad. We folded it and we put it, it fit in the back of our car. I mean, we were going for a couple of days. Like, I mean, we love our comforts, right? It was great. All you peasants on your blow-up beds, right? <laughs> so kill me for saying that. You can go tell her I heard you had a double bed, dude. We had the pack of light, but how, uh, what's my point? <laughs> we have to pack light. Or if you're here and you've built the house or you've, you've moved house, you know how much you hate it, right? But you also know how much you love it because you love getting things in order. Anybody, oh, I love the painting. You have a painting in your room. We had a painting in our room from la- this time last year. We've only put it up on the wall like, you know, three, two months ago. It's like, where's the place? We love to get our houses in order. But how many know when we have things in order, God then just likes to move? Anybody find that? We like, everything's in order. Oh, that thing's gonna go there. You know, I've got, I know my plan for my life and God just goes, bye-bye. And he walks away and you're like, what was that about? And I believe God wants to do that and, long, and does that because he wants to keep our sense of wonder and our sense of hunger. Can I tell you something? As a community, as we get comfortable, guess what he's gonna do? He's going to move because we can't rely on, on our structures and our routines to be the thing that the presence of God comes in. It has to be about what's he doing, our focus on him. That's why we talk about thanksgiving and praise. It's not about a formula. You can't thank someone and praise someone if you're not looking at them. And so we worship him and we, we give him and then we go, okay, what are you doing? That's what the picture of the, the journey of, of you know, the people of God was about. And then it says Jesus became, you know, uh, basically tabernacled among us. He dwelt, you know, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's him pitching his tent again, if you look at the Greek. But anyway, it's a whole different thing for another time. We have to be a people that go, okay, I'm going to move past my dignity. I'm going to move past what is familiar to me. And I'm going to keep my sense of hunger and my sense of wonder. So I, like David, can push past and push into the greater dimensions of God. I had another really good analogy, but you know what, we'll leave it. Why don't you stand? Anybody remember when the rich young man came to Jesus and he says, hey teacher, how must I inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus then goes on to use an analogy as if he goes a whole different tangent. And he says, you know, it's easier for the camel to fit through the eye of the needle than it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is not talking about if you have a certain money, bound of money in your bank account, you're not getting into heaven. But actually, he was saying, you see, that the, the eye of the needle was in the, in the days of Jerusalem was the city gates that were small in size so that they couldn't be easily invaded in or out. So anybody who was general merchants with their camels as they wanted to go and they wanted to come, they had to bring their camel to the eye of the needle, to the city gate, and they had to strip all of the stuff off the camel. They had to come and take everything they were carrying, take it off so that that camel could then get through the eye of the needle. I believe God's here today saying, what's some of the things you got to strip off you to enter in to my presence this morning? What's some of the things you got to strip off in your heart and your mind so you can enter in like David to the fullness of the presence of God? I don't know about you, but that's what I'm committed to. <laughs> that's why I'm willing to throw the shackles off. And sometimes we have to do it before we believe it before we feel like we're ready for breakthrough, sometimes you just gotta dance and be like a child again. So Father, why don't we pray as these guys finish and they're gonna do the song and their ministry team, if you guys wanna come up now. Father, help us to strip off everything in our lives that we are carrying that stops us from entering into the fullness of your presence. God, we all have the right to same access to your presence, to the glory that you have for us. And so Father, this morning, come Holy Spirit and give us the courage, give us the boldness to step out and say, do you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna sh- throw off the fear of man. I'm gonna throw off you know, my insecurities and I'm gonna step in to the fullness of God this morning. For this week coming, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step out. I'm gonna, do you know what? I'm gonna pray for people. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put my hands up on worship if that's what I feel like God's want me to do. Or if I, I'm gonna come at the front or I'm gonna go and stand on my head in the back, whatever it may be, God, that we remove the religious garments and we remove what we are familiar to. And we say, Holy Spirit, come and have your way this morning. We create space for you. Amen.